Hi, my name is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. Before we start with the podcast, I have a few things that I'd like to mention. The first is that we've set up a special email address where listeners of our podcast can send in questions related to Agile, Agile transformation, basically anything about Agile at all. Just send your question to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. You can send it in text form, you can send a WAV file or any kind of audio recording of yourself asking the question, even video would be okay. What we're going to do is take the questions that we get, and in a future podcast, I will be joined by a few of our enterprise transformation consultants. We'll talk about your question, we'll talk about some possible solutions, some ideas, some things you might try when you get back to work, so that if you've got something that's going well, you can make it go better, and if you've got something that's not going well, we'll give you some suggestions or strategies for things you might try to change to make it go a little more smoothly. So again, any question about Agile or Agile transformation, just send it to soundnotes at leadingagile.com. You can send it as text, you can send it as an audio file, or you can send video, whatever's easier for you. We just like to get a lot of questions from our listeners so we can start to incorporate that into the podcast that we've been doing. Again, soundnotes at leadingagile.com. The second thing I want to mention is we've set up a special discount code for podcast listeners who are interested in taking one of our CSM or CSPO classes. You can find a list of all our upcoming classes by going to leadingagile.com training. We're currently doing classes in Atlanta, New York, Philadelphia, Baltimore, Washington, D.C., and San Jose. So just go to leadingagile.com training, find a class you'd like to take, and enter the discount code SOUNDNOTES to receive 10% off the list price. Now, on to the podcast. Hey, this is Dave Pryor. Welcome to Leading Agile Sound Notes. This is our podcast where we do interviews and talk about things going on in Agile. And in this podcast, um, Jan Thomas and Tim Wise are joining me, and we're going to answer a question that was submitted by a student in one of our CSM classes recently. So Chloe Cook-Warren, we're going to play her question in a moment. She's from Austin, Texas. She's got a question about uh, UX and UX design with relationship to Agile and how it works. So here's the question. My name is Chloe Cook-Warren. I'm a user experience designer in Austin, Texas. And I would like to know if there are any recommendations for how to incorporate user experience and uh, UX design into the Agile process. And we'd just love to know any meetings we should hold within the Agile framework or uh, artifacts we need to come up with within the Agile framework that would benefit uh, the UX of the product. Thank you. All right. So before we get into the answer, um, Jen, do you want to tell the folks a little bit about yourself so they can know some more about your background and how that would tie back to UX and Agile? Yeah. Um, so my name is Jan Thomas. I'm a enterprise Agile coach for um, Leading Agile. Um, and uh, I have been in software development for a little over 20 years. Um, I started out as a user interface designer our user interface developer in uh, Visual C++ back in the dark ages when that was really hot <laughs> technology. And uh, so I, I have done actually some some user studies to see how people uh, use the software and made changes based on that. Uh, but uh, most of my work was actually doing uh, development after there was a UX design. Okay, so um, somebody would give you stuff and you'd have to build it out. Right, exactly. And um, I, I ran a couple of really big projects where we had uh, an external design firm actually build out all of the look and feel um, and the usability requirements um, for like a website redesign, those kinds of things. And so I've had some really good experience with that and some really bad. 
Cool. So you'll be able to offer the perspective of somebody who's done it as well as somebody who's worked with outside firms. Right, exactly. All right. And Tim, what do you have to offer today? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I love the way you phrase that. Man. Uh, so, Bring some value, man. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I'm a, I'm a principal consultant with uh, Leading Agile. Um, you know, kind of, I guess, to, to start off with the origin, I was kind of that full stack developer guy. Uh, before full stack was really a thing, I, I believe, overall. So, um, and that, that dates way back, kind of around those times that Jan was talking about. So, just working with a variety of methodologies and even uh, even with Lotus, that was joy. Um, so, that was also sarcasm in my voice as well. So, um, just in case, for those of you yeah. following at home. <laughs> Yeah, Tim's sarcastic voice sounds yeah. just like his regular voice. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, I guess what I have to offer there would be you know tons of experience with uh, trying to figure out this particular issue and in, in agile and hitting it all the way from the very beginning of my early days uh, and then you know I've managed creative groups, branding, uh, marketing, uh, those types of environments as well. Um, so I've definitely hit this problem and, and feel like uh, we've made some good progress in the last uh, couple of years on it, really. So I'm excited to talk about it. Cool. So and thank you guys both for, both for doing this. So this is when this comes up in class, I always kind of stumble over it because the work that I did with designers was always as a project manager. And it there's I see so many parallels between the iterative approach to design and the way that we work in Agile. And I can never figure out why it always seems to cause a lot of stress. So can you guys kind of speak to your experiences with it and where maybe Agile and UX kind of match up or don't match up? So I've had, you know, when you have an external design firm uh, work with a delivery team, I've had the experience where the external firm did the user studies, they did the evaluation of the existing work, and then they went away and they came back with, uh, the actual artifacts of the design, which are, you know, like the PowerPoint presentation and the PDF files and the wireframes for the developers to work against, um, along with the style guides. Um, and, you know, it's it, in an iterative approach, it's overwhelming that very first few sprints to have like just this ton of stuff dumped on you and you have to work through that stuff. Um, the, the only way that I've seen that that, you know, have an external firm go and do all of that work and then start the project, work out, is if you have time with them to do reviews and they're part of the review process. So either they're coming in for like a monthly review or end of sprint review or something like that so that you can get constant feedback and they can help the design respond to issues that you come across in development. Okay. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so one of the big things that I hit uh, very early on in working with uh, my design crew was the, the notion of, of we're, we're creative and you know, I, I think that, that you hear that you hear that quite a lot with every discipline of, of what you what you see, but particularly with design and and there, you know, there's there's this idea that that the iteration can kind of last forever, and the notion of time boxes is kind of a hard thing for them to grasp. Um, 
So, you know, that can be particularly difficult uh, overall. So for me, I like to form more of a partnering relationship. It's kind of similar to what Jan's, I think what Jan's touching on of, um, you know, you have to be able to iterate with that, with that crew in some way, shape or form uh, and help them not only realize that they can still be creative, but help them exploit where there are opportunities uh, to iterate and find out more about their, their end users. So that could be like a marketing team or it could be a sales team or it could be their customer base or it could be a variety of, of things that they're actually unsure. Uh, Cause I mean, a typical design process, you might go through, well, here are my three designs that I believe will work. Um, in a much more collaborative area, I view it as, well, if I can get them to admit uh, that there are areas that we don't know about or complexities that we're unsure if it'll work or not, or we're unsure about user behavior, um, then what are the different uh, assumptions that we're making and how do we test those out quickly? And that's where I, I really like to see them paired up with a product owner and more of the architecture side so they, they can really tie into the overall goal that we're trying to achieve. If we're unsure how to, if we're unsure how to achieve that goal, then those are are things that we can then exploit and say, well, what what assumptions are we making, and how do we validate that this is even going to be needed or or whatnot? Okay, so just just to make sure that I, we kind of cover this topic first, how do you guys separate like just design from UX? Because when I got started doing this stuff, that we didn't have UX. It was just there were the designers and the developers and nobody really focused on anything other than this design guy is going to build something that we hope the developers can figure out how to make. <laughs> I mean, how do, how, do you, how do you separate that side of it, you know, or maybe that, that creative graphic side of it from UX? What's the difference between the two from your perspective? Usability uh, and user experience is really not about so much the the design and the style guides as it is more of the understanding who the user community is and you know making decisions about how things are placed on the page and and how the pages render and all that kind of stuff uh, based on who who is going to be using it so uh, when you're trying to do like a public website or uh, that kind of thing, you really have to narrow down to what are the key things that are pe- people are trying to accomplish and not make it uh, difficult for them. And, uh, and that takes a lot of like user study information. Like you, you really have to conduct some studies and have people try different designs. Okay. So like, the designer themselves is are trying to make things beautiful and work smoothly and flow and all of that kind of stuff. And, and the user experience people are trying to say, here's how the user is responding to that view that you're giving them. To your fancy, pretty pages that we can't actually right. build. Okay. Right. Yeah, and I, and I view those as, as being a balance. So there's a, there's a balance between market research and then actually seeing if it works. So... Um, somewhere in there, we've we've got to strike that chord of doing too much research up front versus actually seeing if this thing is is going to be successful in in the marketplace. So, um, 
I think that's a, a pairing that I'm, I'm starting to see more and more of, of people that are tied in with both the product side and saying, what are we trying to accomplish? And let's do some market research and let's see uh, from a, from a usability perspective, uh, are people even going to, um, are they interested in what we have to offer? So um, I think that's the, the immersion of, of AB testing and now multivariate uh, testing of testing multiple things on the page. So I, I think the guideline there that I've seen has been one where uh, designers typically will slice up the page uh, to figure out what are the different uh, what are the different components of the page, and uh, particularly with things like responsive design and, and whatnot, then you have to consider it across multiple technologies and, mul- and potentially multiple stacks. So, um, you know, how this, how this button translates or how this menu translates into a hamburger menu or, uh, and then will people use that across multiple things uh, via your phone or, or via our, our website or, or whatever that technology may be. Um, so in, in slicing it up that way, then they can start to isolate. Okay. Here's, here's what we're testing. Here's what we're, we're hoping will occur, and then they have to figure out a way to measure that. So that that really takes a little bit more oomph behind um, your technology side to so it, to really get down into the detail of it. So it's almost like a check and balance system where the designer's job is to create the amazing thing, and the UX person's job is to tether them back to the earth and help them think about or help them focus maybe more on a beautiful design that people can actually work with in a simple way. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Uh, I, I'm going to try to ellaborate a little bit more on, on that if, if you have just another second on it, right? Of course. Uh, so from, from the UX side, I'm, I'm, I'm really seeing that as more of a technology-oriented side. And yeah. uh, that's one that it's more, is it feasible? How are we going to accomplish it? Um, you know, how are we going to program against it? So that's, that's really what I'm seeing people define more as the, the UX Okay. From a from a designer perspective, it's really more about how do we solve the business problems and what are the things that we think will solve those problems, but we're maybe not sure of uh, just yet. I'm I'm really anchoring on that because that's where the creative juices start flowing. Okay. And that's how they that's how they can win. At, at you know, uh, I hear a lot on the design side of. Uh, you know, we can't time box it. And that's, if you figure out how to run experiments against it, then you're no longer time boxing it. You're actually figuring out what it is that you need to do to accomplish the goal. So, um, so that kind of unleashes that creative potential there. And with the notion of AB testing, then you can just test it out on a portion of your, of your uh, user base, uh, or you can directly test it against something else. Uh, multivariate would allow you. Multivariate would allow you to uh, test different combinations uh, if you have multiple things that you're changing. Okay. Um, so those those are kind of the. If you think about it more in the, um, this is the goal from a product arena that we have this conversion rate going on, and we want to up that rate, and we believe that we change uh, the design to make it simpler, uh, simplify it to where people, you know, notice the big red button on the screen now and they'll, they'll actually click it versus being hidden behind a bunch of text. Right. Then that's something we can now test out. 
and iterate it. We're going to say, well, is this design actually going to achieve what we want? So it becomes a little more scientific. Right. It is, it is much more scientific. scientific. But, it is. But then you, can, then you can start breaking down the wall of, well, do we, do we really need to do all the market research? And you may still need to do that. Or can we go ahead and, and just find out you know, from, sure. from doing this experiment? Okay. So you brought up something a minute ago that I want to kind of come back to. You, you, you mentioned a page. And one of the things that I've had come up a lot in work that I've done and a lot in class is if you think about you know, people who are putting together a page for somebody to use, um, generally they want to know what all the pieces are before they get started. And one of the things that you could easily make the case in Agile is that we don't know what all the pieces are going to be, just design this box. How do you guys reconcile? I mean, do you see that happening? Do you see that conversation happening? And, and if so, how do you reconcile it with trying to be agile and trying to give the people that are working on the design in the UX all the information they need to make the right decisions? You know, one of my worst experiences with that, you know, they we're not really, we're just trying to get this look and feel right. We're just trying to get this look and feel right. Um, is that instead of having the actual workflow planned out ahead of time and at least having some you know end goal and, and understanding we need to to be able to deliver to this end goal um there was just so much time and effort and all that put into the initial few pages of a design for me right. one time that you know it was it's just basically like the contract ran out and then it's okay well you guys you, you need to finish this up because the design team that we hired can't. And so then you get really, you know, a different look and feel in the last few pages and it just seemed cobbled together. And it was just a really bad experience where just like in Agile, we don't expect people to start with, uh, you know, making a dialogue box pop up or whatever. Um, and just say, okay, well, this is all you need to think about. It's just this one little story. You don't have to have any understanding of what, how it's going to work with the feature or how that's going to support the value for the customer. Um, we, we do expect them to at least understand some kind of flow and, and walk through and visualization of where they're going. So, so they might. So they might have to know maybe not all the specific pieces or what's going to be in each specific piece, but they have to have a sense of what's actually going to be in this environment that somebody's working right? or, or what they're going to have to do with it. Right. Yeah. And I think that this is one that I also battle with a, a little bit internally. Um, so it's, it's very, very similar to the architectural problem. Yes. Of how much, how much do you need to know before you can move? Right. And, um, you know, so it depends to me, it depends on the, the maturity of the teams that you're working with, you know, there and the complexity of the project that you're working with or the complexity of the product. And then probably um, the domain understanding of the problem as yeah, well, right? All, all of the above. So those are all factors that go into this. But, uh, you know, in general, with the assumption that we have a stellar team that knows a lot about it and they, you know, they have great agile practices, then they can do a lot of robust things around that. And, uh, You'll, you'll find that those teams have a good idea in their mind and it's solidified and they have a shared understanding of it. And then they can build out one slice at a time, one, one thing at a time and because they have a, a broader knowledge of it. But there's a balance to that broader knowledge of, uh, of being realistic and responding to change and responding to our plan where the, you know, just the assumption that we're going to do all of this stuff 
and it's going to be it's going to take us nine months to do it it's likely to change so it's good to have that shared understanding it's also good to to really uh internalize the fact that well we're, we're very likely to change it's not only a uh you know it's, it's almost a foregone conclusion that things will change you know yeah. so uh being able to effectively do that and there's some responsibility in there too um well, let me just give an example of that. If you're just building out a simple uh, site, uh, you know, the, the kind of one pager that gets a business up and going, it's probably not all that important that you're really robust and, and can respond to change. You, you need to get something out to the market. Um, as time goes on, if you have a really mature system and you need uh, things to integrate with it or, or whatnot, well, you probably want to be a little bit more technical, technically savvy and make it where it is changeable. Uh, but it's it's also encapsulated, so it's it's something that you've protected. So that, um, I was going to ask you about that in a minute, but you're you're basically saying that instead of just designing everything, or or you know looking at everything from a user's perspective, you've also got to think about we need to put something together that will not only allow us to test things, but also is built in a way or, or thought through in a way that gives us the freedom to change things without too much stress in the future. Right. Yeah. And, and only in places where it makes sense. So it's a really pragmatic approach and, and requires that we, we're not staunch about, well, everything needs to change or that everything needs to be designed to the nth degree. There is a balance in there. Um, one of the great travesties from, from my career uh, that I can think back on, and I, I wish I'd pushed harder on this. So this is one that I, I was like, oh, I, I wish I had that one back, you know, <laughs> um, so it was back in the day when portals were really cool and everything and, and things back were just in the getting stone age. Yeah. Back in the stone age. Right. <laughs> and things were just getting drag drug and dropped around on screens and whatnot. So, um, you know, there, there was this, uh, portal I was helping design and, and a team that was helping design it. And we came up with, well, there's a way to, to input timesheets into a system and have them automatically approved. Uh, it's more complex than it sounds, but that was the general notion of it. Well, before we ever did anything else, that's the general notion that we were trying to prove out. And it's something that wasn't wanted by our, by our marketplace. So there was also a layering of marketing on top of that. So there was this little marketing widget that always stood there that they could offer them other sales opportunities that they could get more money. But if no one ever wants to use it in the first place for its core capability, then that is not something that we want to spend the $2 million on that was spent on that particular item. So that to me was a, a gross wasting of, of human capital and, and of business capital as so, well. So, so if, we're, if we're heading down the path towards Agile, then it's also what you're putting together, you want to put together in a way that allows you to, to test something, see if it's working, see if people right. care about it so that you can make whatever changes you need. Yeah. So the, the core assumption there was that people wanted to have an automated way to approve timesheets and uh, the way that we were going about doing it was not, was not wanted. So we probably would have iterated on that. And then we could have had a separate opportunity to iterate over marketing content, which would not be dynamic at first. It could be a picture. So uh, in order to prove that out and see how, uh, users responded. So uh, it essentially could have taken, you know, that's a, that's a very simple workflow with a very simple picture on it. So you, we could have invalidated the workflow and quit. 
and and not done that particular item or figured out if there's a way to change it. Okay. And and if there was a way to change it, then we could have validated that the marketing part uh, was something that users were willing to tolerate uh, okay. at the end. So, so instead, there's a bunch of bets in there about uh, are all these things going to work together? Right. And that's that's just not where, where we want to go. Okay. So when you guys are working with um, and Jen, maybe you can maybe you go if you can go first on this one. When you guys are working with organizations that are trying to transition over from a traditional way of working to a more agile way of working. What are the, some of the specific challenges that you think people coming from UX or design face when they're trying to adopt that way of working, uh, whether it's Scrum or Kanban or whatever? Yeah. I think one of the biggest things is that um, a lot of, a lot of times uh, UX and the usability and the user interface design world or whatever has always been all up front, and that gets delivered before the project starts. Right. Basically, before the development starts. So that's when you have the design scrum team delivering to the development scrum team. Right. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so, in in integrating those two, uh, turns out it, it's really as as long as you do the release planning right, it's not that hard. It's just like any other dependency you have anywhere else. Um, you know, you can actually get the uh, design team to be working a sprint or two ahead of the delivery team. So and you are you're saying that's okay then? It is. It is okay because if I have to do usability testing and I need to, you know, find a sample community and get the, you know, it's usually like a PowerPoint or some kind of uh, presentation up for them to be able to click and use a computer and see how they did with it and have them talk to you and get the feedback and write up the response to that and put all that together. That's not like a day's worth of work, right? right? So it's, it's hard to have them working in the same sprint and have the developers respond to that feedback in the same sprint. So does the, does the potentially shippable increment then become the thing that you're going to test instead of a fully finished feature that some customer can use? Yeah. It, it, usually, um, like headers and footers, or we need terms and conditions, or right. we've got to have uh, the uh, – language for the agreement that nobody reads, you know, or whatever. <laughs> so all of those things end up trailing the delivery. They've got the, the link there. They've got a false page up. Um, they'll have like bars, colored bars for where the headers and footers are going to go. And the designers and the um, uh, UX people are usually you know, running some community test on whether or not people are going to click on links or what the color differential needs to be in order to get them to click down in the footer, you know, those those kinds of things. Uh, they can, they'll do that testing late in the cycle. Okay. So, so, yeah, in that case, you are delivering pages and you're delivering completed content without these other features that you need to deliver the entire project. Okay. And Tim, do you agree with that? Is that your experience as well? 
So um, it's definitely something that I've, I've used in the in the past. I, I have a, a kind of a preferred way that that I like. It's one that um, I've I've been successful at getting organizations to kind of bend to this this portion of my will. <laughs> so <laughs> it's something that that I really uh, view as a success pattern uh, for me. Um, very early on, before all the scaled agile stuff was going on, I would I would typically find uh, three prongs to to get this done how I wanted it to get done. I had the product owner part portion, and they typically needed two people to help. They needed someone with technical experience that they could validate. Okay, this is both feasible as well as maintainable and sustainable. Um, you know, it's not going to cost us a whole bunch that that person might be an architect or a technical lead um, or it might be rotating team members uh, but they're generally paired up with the product owner such that they have a, enough runway so that they can produce a backlog that makes sense okay uh, that that the team isn't going to spend a lot of cycles on or that they're actively running experiments with the team so that the team is is uh, really integrating that into their train of thought. The other one is is very similar. It's with the UX side uh, and specifically with the design side. So with, on the design side, I also paired them up with that those other two um, so that ultimately they can produce something that has the vision of, of the product that also correlates to just enough design to achieve the things that we need to achieve. And the things that we don't know about, let's go ahead and, and admit that up front. Um, let's design experiments around them. That's something that matured over time for me. But the the basic notion there of the first step for me was uh, let's get it out there so that we know just enough about it so that the team can execute cleanly on it and have a good understanding of what we're trying to do. And, and um, that that by itself is, is a significant change for somebody who's used to designing everything up front, like Jan was describing. You're saying just right. enough, just enough. And that's the same issue that the architects are having. It's the same issue that architects have. You know, it's a big issue with data. Uh, so it's a, it's a pervasive issue. Um, and it's not – those are the three main – the main components that, that I really need in order to make really an effective product owner at the end of the day. So okay. – um, the the product owner themselves would probably reach out to those people at some point in time, uh, but you don't want that to be a late binding thing. And you don't want it to be too much. You don't want it to be an early binding thing either where they have to design everything up front. So right. kind of them working together is, is where – that's one of the reasons I came to Leading Agile was that I was in that same problem space trying to sa- solve the same problems, and Leading Agile had a much more – robust uh solution around it where just the the verbiage that they used was was really good so um so for me that was the birth of the product owner team or the um or program team whatever whichever you like to call it and around those components uh whatever else you need to get clarity of backlog and cast the vision uh alongside the team okay so, so back to Chloe's original question, are, are there things that you guys can, can recommend for her in terms of, I mean, she's trying to get her group to transition over to Agile, and she wanted to know if there are specific artifacts that you would recommend or certain types of meetings that might be non-standard meetings that she should be trying to arrange in order to help ease the way for design and UX into a more Agile way of working. 
I would say it depends on if like her design and UX team is together and then they're supporting delivery teams or, or if she's trying to integrate into delivery, um, just UX in itself has its own set of uh, artifacts, like these customer experience uh, sessions and all of that kind of stuff that are not that are sep- would be separate than, but they are similar to uh, story clarification meetings or you know uh, you know feature reviews. Sure. So, I mean, it, it would fall in line with that same kind of thing that you would be doing in just a regular delivery team. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, I had a really bad experience with the, the designers and the UX people being totally integrated with the delivery team. Um, Why? And, uh, they, uh, I think it could be this this whole mentality about we're designers and we can't be time boxed to a two week sprint where the delivery guys were like, yeah, we need to finish. finish." So that's an important thing. Cause my experience with the designers was when I would say, how long is something going to take? Their question was always, how much time do I have? And the only <laughs> thing that I could kind of suss out was that the guys that I knew that did that kind of work, you give them, you tell them what you need. Like you give them some business problem and I mean, in, in one guy's case, it was, I have to stare at the floor for like four hours and then I'm going to go get baked and play basketball for a while and then clock a few hours on the PlayStation. And then I got to watch like 12 hours of Ren and Stimpy and then I'm going to have an idea and it's going to take me 15 minutes to execute it. But you don't want to put in like, I got to watch four hours of Ren and Stimpy into a like project <laughs> schedule where like, I got to get baked and play basketball. Like you, That's just doesn't seem professional, but if that's part of the creative process, I mean, how do we, how do we allocate that time? Well, first they have to be in Colorado, right? <laughs> yes. Sorry. Uh, I don't want people to be irresponsible but, uh, <laughs> with their substances. <laughs> but the, uh, yeah. So I think that there's, there's certainly something to be said for, they are creative, you know, they do special well, things. Uh, yeah. But they're not any more creative than any Java developer out there. I mean, those guys are, you know, you're right. You're you're looking at imagination on the screen, really. Right. It's it's, it's, uh, it's an exercise in imagination that that really everyone has to learn to to deal with and realize that it's in order to reach the end goal, uh, particularly in their case. Um, you know, I, so I, I kind of agree with with what you're saying, and then there's another another part of me that you know, if you're working on the identity of a company, and then you're, you really need to understand the goals of the company and what they're trying to achieve and what their brand is. So for, for those people, they have to iterate through a couple of things and ideate on it. And, um, you know, no different from a, from a Java developer either. They, they certainly have those times as well. Um, with certain branding groups, then they, they may come across that more often than, than not. Um, you know, there was, um, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say say on on that is that I really find the the success in uh, you know as far as guidance with them of partnering with that product owner and the and the architect and realizing that the product owner also has to go out and do market research and market analysis and find opportunities they may get ideas from sales or or from their support side uh, the architect also has to go out and research what's the the new 
trending items and how can we use them to our advantage from a technology standpoint. So all of those people kind of have time away from the team uh, if you if you look at it. Uh, and, and that's why I, I kind of view them all as collectively the, the, the product owner. And they have different, there's potentially different timings on that. So there's usually, it, it actually helps out with that problem of, well, the product owner is never around to give us any advice. And yeah. over time, over time, those three people collectively can kind of give really good advice on behalf of each other and almost serve to proxy one another. Uh, because they're in a shared understanding of of what they're trying to achieve, that's a really great place to be if you can get there and, and um, gaining empathy for one another's role and what they have to achieve. Right? Yeah, yeah. So they they will completely gain empathy because they'll they'll see that uh, well, this is what they you know this is this is something that they brought to the table and is really helping out. Um, we're all on the same page and we're accomplishing things faster. Um, so for me, that's that's why it's a really good success pattern for me. Um, Do either of you think, I mean, because she specifically asked about meetings and artifacts, are there specific things that either of you have added to something like she took a scrum class. So things that either of you have seen added to the scrum process that facilitate better, better interaction between UX and design and and the rest of the agile team. Yeah. I'm going to continue that thought just for just a second and, and parlay it into this one. So after you have that shared understanding, then you're executing on much smaller things, both as an architect and as a UI uh, or as a as a designer. Okay. So the things that you're iterating over, um, what I find is that from a design and architecture perspective, things come pretty rapid fire. So they have to figure out a way to, um, you know, if there's something that they're always designing, say the hamburger menu or this responsive framework. They really need to treat it kind of architecturally as as a as a collection of things that they can pull from. So there's patterns and practices that they'll need to pull from. Otherwise, they get pretty overwhelmed fairly quickly with, well, here's here's the next thing I have to design, and here's the next thing I have to design. So that's getting too ingrained in in what the the team is needing right at the moment. So they need to be a little bit further ahead on their lead time with, and that, and that's a balance of uh, again, it's the complexity and of the of all those things, the project and the and the product and everything. But um, once you figure out the appropriate lead time, and it's usually somewhere between that two to you know two to six sprints type of time frame, then uh, then you've got it kind of where you can collaborate on it and get a shared understanding at your team, and you've got your arms around how am I even going to manage this? But it does cause a bit of of work up front. That is, um, it's not the design work necessarily. It's actually the demand to be more structured in, in how they approach things. So just like they were really structured before and they had everything thought out, you can't have nothing thought out sure. on the other side either. So there is an appropriate balance in between those two things. So yeah. I would say uh, having some system where they're pulling, uh, pulling that together so that they don't have to reinvent the wheel a hundred times is really good. Okay. You know, having um, release reviews and and uh, going through story mapping along with uh, along with the product owners and the teams is really good. And one one really critical one for me is that you don't have to have the high fidelity design to collaborate on what you're trying to accomplish. So having a you know getting used to wireframing and and doing uh, user journeys and flows is a good thing for them. 
And it doesn't take that much fidelity to do that stuff. And then you can figure out where the complexity is so that you can figure out where to pay attention to when it gets a little closer to the team. So it's the same notion of epics and features and stories and breaking those down and everything to a more granular level. Well, we don't need to know absolutely everything for our, you know, our, our roadmap that's coming up. So we need to know enough about it such that we can identify the riskiest areas and the places that we need to dig in a little deeper uh, and the places where we have uncertainty and risk. To Tim's point, uh, I really feel like that one of the key things is if you have a really nice release plan and you can do a joint release planning session so everybody kind of knows what the flow is going to be and, and what you're going to work on when. Right. Um, it makes a huge difference to how successful the design team can be. And then the design team needs to have the, the reviews and get the feedback and respond to feedback because not everything that you think of and everything you design is going to look right once you implement it. Right. And so they need to be a part of what got implemented, but also the development team needed to be a part of understanding why the designers made some decisions they did. Okay. Yeah, that's a that's a good point, Jan. So one of the one of the things that just how I mean that they're part of the product owner team, they also need to be part of the sprint demos and uh, really the acceptance of stories and making sure that they are that you're balancing getting product to market with the usability and design and the architecture that you need. So that's uh, as well as the quality that you need. So quality certainly has a uh, a tentacle that goes into this as well. Uh, where you're producing a quality uh, design to meet the needs uh, of your consumers. So, um, yeah, I think from from an artifact standpoint, there's tons of things to try. I also want to acknowledge that there's a, you know, although I've solved it with kind of the product owner side, there's a lot of like the lean UX movement and um, there's uh, there is that notion of dual track uh, type of scrum and there's a lot of different patterns that people try I, I would say that a lot of them are great patterns uh, some of them um, will lead you more towards the design team and the dev team type of thinking so that's something I, I personally uh, try to steer away from but it's it's a workable pattern it just uh, I focus more on the time to market Okay, cool. So if if people want to get in touch with, with Jan, how can people get in touch with you if they want to ask you some more questions about this? Um, I'm, uh, they can always drop me an email, uh, jan at leadingagile.com. Uh, jan with can, two N's. Right, at leadingagile.com. Or you can uh, uh, post on the website. Uh, I have a couple of blog posts coming up. Um, so if you want to go to the leadingagile.com website and just randomly pick one of my blog posts and post a comment. I'll, okay. I'll be happy to answer there. Cool. Thanks. And Tim, what about you? Uh, so Tim at leadingagile.com. Uh, it's just one M. Uh, so no, no two M's. Um, and then you can catch me on Twitter at Tim S. Wise. Uh, and then um, if you're in the Atlanta area, we have I'm organizing a conference, uh, helping to organize it with, it's called Agile Day Atlanta. It's going to be in May. Uh, it's a really low cost event. It's going to have some fantastic speakers at it, and um, you know, looking forward to that. I think it's ninety nine bucks, so you can't beat the the one day uh, type of conference feel. Yeah. 
And also with, with Agile 2016 being in Atlanta, I think we're going to have a super-duper presence at that one. Uh, so be sure to check out Leading Agile there, and, and I'll be uh, most likely hanging around that one and um, and hopefully speaking at it, but we'll see. Um, so, yeah. All right. Thanks, you guys. I really appreciate you doing this. And, Chloe, I hope that answered your questions, but you know, if you need any more assistance, just send us – Send us a line, and, and we'll do whatever we can. So thanks, guys. Best of luck, Kelly. <laughs> See ya. Thanks. Bye.